So grab your Bibles and your devices today. Turn to the book of Luke. We make a stop there for a moment in Luke chapter 10 in verse 27. And then the majority of our teaching this morning is found in the book of Romans, Romans 8 and verse 31. So let me tell you what we're going to do for a moment. And that is that next week we start our fall winter series. We always teach through a book of the Bible in our fall and winter series. So this year, we're going to be teaching through the book of Romans. The book of Romans, by some uh, understanding of some theologians, they say it is perhaps the most important book that we find in the entire New Testament concerning our salvation and who we are in Christ and who what God has done for us in our life and how to live out that life in this world, how to live out our Christian life. So we start next week in this exhaustive, long, uh, I say long, you know, if you've been here before, then you know that sometimes they're long, about 20 to 20. 24 weeks that we're going to take in these 16 chapters all the way through the book of Romans to really give you a great understanding of all of that. So it's a journey. So that's why we call today The Journey Begins. Now, we're not starting that series today, but, well, it's going to make sense for you in a moment. But we're going to start this journey together this morning. So here, here is the thought. And, and as a man, I speak on behalf of men. Men loathe asking for directions. We really do. And we, we, we hate asking for directions because, well, I guess there's some part of us that wants to be in control because way back before the days of Waze and that of Google Maps, we actually used to get lost. We did. We got, there was a time way back in history that when we would go on a trip that we would find ourselves lost. And so back in the day, you know, when we were in our horse and buggy, that we carried this thing with us. I don't know. Do you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? It's, 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 it's an ancient tool called a map, right? Yes. And we used to use that before we had devices in our hand or connected to our car. And so we used to use this and it would sort of give us some direction into where we wanted to go. And, and, you know, I, so I wondered, could I even find one of these? And they actually still sell them. I was a little surprised. And, and so what I remember back in the day is that a map, you unfold it like this. The biggest challenge of this thing I don't know if you remember this, and, and for everybody else, it's a point of interest, I guess. What's the biggest challenge? Folding it back up. That's exactly right. That's the whole big challenge of this crazy thing. So I, I, pl- I practiced this in my office, and I want to tell you, it took me a little while, but I was actually able to get it folded. Look at that. It's amazing, isn't that? That's talent. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's worth coming this morning for, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, and so... That's the challenge. Another challenge in this is that if your map is not up to date, is that when you're on a trip, what you're going to find is you're going to find yourself at a road somewhere and you look on your map and that road is not, you know, present on your map. And so you don't know exactly which way to go. And so what happens is that you get lost. Then you have to do the unspeakable. Yes. And the unspeakable would have to be that you stop and you ask somebody for directions. Why is that so terrible of a thing to do? Here's the thought. Because you become vulnerable to someone else's understanding of the path that you should be taking. You become vulnerable to someone else's understanding of the path that you are to be taking. Hey, welcome to the book of Romans. That's what that is. That we open ourselves up to the path that God shows to us through the book of Romans and through this study. So what today is, today is like a pre-tripper. Is exactly, it's a pre-trip session before we start next week on this journey together. Romans is a map. Romans is a map. The road that we're going to take in the book of Romans is the road called sanctification. 
It is. The process of this journey through the, down this road of sanctification is a theological word that we don't use a whole lot, but it's the word vivification. It's a strange word, I know. Vivification, and it simply means our pursuit of God. What is our destination then? Where do we want to go? That's important, I think. That we want to go to this place where we become more Christ-like within our lives and that we want to make Christ known to others. So that's where we're headed. And so we call this, this teaching this morning a journey because of two things. One, that we find ourselves, all of us in this room, if we're a Christ follower, we find ourselves on a journey, that of sanctification. And second, we're about to embark on this journey together through what we, what we know to be in the New Testament book of Romans. Because every journey has this moment when you plot out your course, and that's what it's about. Whether you have this paper map that we just had here, or whether you have your phone, or you have your navigation system on your car, whatever it is that you have to plot out that map. Theologians like Calvin and others would tell us that on this journey, this road of sanctification, that there are two edges to this road. There are two edges to the road that we're going to simply find ourselves on today. And and so you think, well, Mark, start maybe with defining to us what sanctification means. I think that's a really good place to start. And so what that is, is it, that's our growth in God. That's our spiritual maturity. That's the journey of becoming more like Christ. It's our understanding and, and growth in that of who God is in his character and nature and how that plays out in my life and your life. So that is the journey. That's the road of sanctification. Can I give you, well, here's what Jesus says in the book of Luke. I told you we'd stop there before Romans, chapter 10, verse 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God. Look what it says. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't happen just by osmosis, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. We're using some really big words this morning. Vivification, now osmosis, right? It doesn't happen that, that we just can't like open up your head or place something on you and you absorb that this morning. But this works like all living things does. It's about growth. And in our growth in life, in our growth in our relationship with God, then what we realize is there are going to be moments of encouragement. There are going to be moments of discouragement. There are going to be moments when we have great successes. And there are going to be moments in our lives when it seems like we have failed. There are going to be those moments in our life where there's challenges and there's rewards and there's stretching and there's pain. There's going to be those moments when there is nurturing in our life. And so what theologians tell us on this journey of spiritual growth in our life we call sanctification, there are two edges to that. The first edge, if we're on a road and there are edges to the road, and this is a dirt road, so there's a lot of potholes and there's a lot of stones in that. But if we're on this dirt road of sanctification, there are two edges to that road. The first is that of mortification. There's another vacation word, isn't it? Yes. So mortification. And what that means is this, that we die to our sins. We die to our sins. It's that process of understanding the sinful nature of who we are and that we die to our sins. What I realize is that Christ died for our sins. What we have in this process is this, that we die to our sins. And then the other side of this road is that vivification. That is that process in which we are pursuing God. And we find ourselves in the middle of that, moving to become more Christ-like and to make Christ known to the world. And so that pursuit of godliness... Oh, it's a process also. Because what we realize is this, that Christ took up his cross once, but the process for you and I is this, that we take up our cross daily. 
that we take up our cross daily. So it is a process in this road that we call sanctification. And so just talking about this, that of, you know, dying to our sins, just talking about our pursuit in God and and on this road and this journey, man, it causes some frustration in our life. It does. But you know why it causes frustration? Because we don't always get it right. Hey, welcome to humanity, right? Yes, welcome to humanity, that we don't always get it right. And we're not going to get it right as long as we're in this life. And there are going to be times when we get lost in this. There are going to be those moments. It's just like with our map, you know, and, 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 you know, back when we would get lost at one time or another, and we didn't know exactly where we were because we were not being followed by GPS, that, you know, how you knew that you were lost? Well, you realize that when you pass the same landmark twice, you realize you're lost, right? Yes, because you're going in a circle, And when you go in a circle, you never get anywhere. Some of you in your spiritual life feel that way this morning, that you feel like that you're going in a circle. You're just not getting right. You're simply stuck between this thing of dying to your sin, this mortification aspect of your life. And then there's a vivification aspect of your life. You're trying to pursue God and you're kind of bouncing back and forth, side to side, all the way down this road. Can I tell you for a moment, breathe. Okay, so so let's, let's... I don't know, if you have an Apple Watch, does your Apple Watch ever, you know, like buzzes and you look down and it says breathe? Like, what am I doing? I am breathing, right? Yes, it tells you breathe because it's monitoring your heart rate, right? And it knows that you're, you're, you're getting frustrated about something. So for a moment, breathe. Because let me tell you something very important about this this morning. This is not about perfection. This is very much about process. And I think that's important for you and I to understand that. As we embark on some of the most, I think, detailed and challenging teachings that you're going to find in the New Testament, that this is truly about process within my life and your life. And it's not about that of perfection. It's about a journey for us. So turn to the book of Romans. We're going to jump right in, in in the middle of Romans, actually. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. So we'll find the scripture again as we journey through the Romans, uh, book, the book of Romans together. But Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Here's what it says. And if you have ever been in church very long, whether you're here or you're at home this morning watching us through church at home, then, then you've heard this, or maybe this is brand new to you and it's going to be really exciting. And here's what it says. What then shall we say to these things? What do we say to all these things that we've talked about? This journey, the failure, the successes, and the times we get it right and times we don't, and the time we love each other and the time we devour one another. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great verse, isn't it? I like that. Perfect for a t-shirt. Perfect for the poster in your room. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So I have to start with this thought. Who or or what then shall we say to these things? What do we say in light of all of these things? In light of these three um, Fication brothers that we talked about, right? Mortification, vivification, and sanctification. In light of all that in my life, why do I say these things? And here's what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? And it's a question. Do you know why? Because it's a rhetorical question. It's a statement placed in the form of a question. And if you read the Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus uses rhetorical questions all the time. And he does that to make a point to you and I. He says, listen, this is very important for you to understand. 
And, and I think that when he starts this you know, question with the word if, it actually brings us to a fact about God. It brings us, you could use the word since there, since God is for us. You could use all of those kinds of, you know, those types of words. But what this means is this, God is literally at work on our behalf. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? That God is literally at work on our behalf this morning. That Christ dies on our behalf. That the Spirit simply intercedes on our behalf this morning. It's Psalm 118 in verse 6. Here's what this says. That the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. That's a, that's a great promise. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph over those who hate me. The fact is revealed. It's made absolutely clear that God is for us. That's where we start. If you're going to start this journey, then you have to start with something absolutely concrete and foundational for your life. God is for us. That's a powerful thought. That God is absolutely for us. That's our starting point. And it's made absolutely clear when simply Paul says this, that he did not spare the life of his son, but he gave his son up for you and I. That's what makes this crystal clear to you and I that he is for us. Because this is an idea that you and I have to solidify in our own hearts and our minds. We can't go on the journey until we have this understanding of how God feels about us. That's important. God is for us, not against us. What makes that clear to us? That he offered up his own son for you and I. That makes it absolutely crystal clear. Listen, we will never ever find the encouragement or the foundation or, or really that of the transformation in this thought that God is for us and not against us unless we add it to that thought that God gave up his son, gave up his son, not sparing his son for you and I. Because here's the thought. It's more than just not sparing. Because when you read that, you may think that somehow that there is someone taking in this process. But when I under, what I understand about theology and this scripture is this, God handed him over. That's a thought, isn't it? That God handed him over. It's not that he just didn't spare him, but he hands him over. So I have $20 here, you know, and um, I, could, I could have like a student come up this morning but we'd have to social distance, so you have to stand over there, and I have to stand over here. But I'll just do it like this. Hey, I, I have 20 bucks, you know, and if you come to me this morning and said to me, hey, could you spare $20? Then, then I'm going to probably reach into my wallet. I'm going to look at you first, you know, and, and kind of check you out. And then I'm going to say, well, yeah, I can spare 20 bucks, and I'm going to give you that $20. Why? Because you ask me for it. Because you ask me for it. But what if I prayed and I simply sensed a need by the, by the Lord speaking to me through the power of the Spirit in my life? What if I sensed a need in your life and I walked up to you after service day in the lobby and say, Hey, God just spoke to me and told me to give you 20 bucks. Some of you are excited about that, right? You say, This is a good church. I like this. If that's what happens after service every time, that's not what always happens. Okay, understand that. Yes. And so I walked up to you and I said, Hey, here's the thing. Can I give you 20 bucks? but you didn't ask me for it. You see, in understanding the foundation of God's irresistible love for us, that we have to see it in that light, 
It's not that just he spared, he didn't, or not that he just did not spare his son, but it's the fact that he gave his son, he handed him over. What this is for you and I is a sovereign work of God for us. It's a sovereign work of God for you and I. That we don't offer anything, we don't bring anything to the table here, no matter how good we are, no matter how well we are as rule keepers, you know, kind of thing, that we don't bring anything to the table here. But what I realize in comprehending this inexhaustible and irresistible love that God has for you and I, what I realize is this, that God just doesn't uh, allow the cross, God deliberately delivers his son to the cross for you and I deliberately delivers him. It's an act of God on our behalf because that is his love. That is the amount and that is the quantity and quality of the love that God has for you. And through grace that we are saved through faith in that inexplainable sovereign act of God for you and I this morning, that God loves us. And the, that fact that you and I bring nothing to the table, that fact that we didn't even ask for that, but God offers that, he gives that up. Oh, it brings humility in my life. It makes me realize that I have done nothing to deserve this. I've done nothing to simply, you know, uh, Make God, because of my behavior, do this in giving his son what I realize is a sovereign act of God's love on my behalf. That's where my journey has to begin. Because anything outside of that, man, I can take some ownership in it, can I? I really can. Yeah, look at me, man. I'm the kind of person that God would really want. No, that's not it at all. It's a sovereign act of his love for you and I. And then he says, if God would do this for us, how would he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And when we say, you know, that's what he said, graciously given us all things. Man, we think this is good, man. This is really good because now, now this is about prosperity, you know, and this is all the things that I need. And if you're a student, man, you're praying for great grades, right? Whether you study or not, you're going to pray. Yeah. And, and, and maybe if you need a new car because you just, uh, you know, you barely made it to church this morning on a, like a song and a prayer, they say, you know, kind of deal with your car and you're sitting here praying right now. It's going to start before you leave. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, God, that's what God is talking about. Can I give you a little context and understanding? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul gives some understanding about what God is giving us here. He says this, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. This is about grace and this is about gifts. It's a grace gift. So is he talking about our salvation? Absolutely, he's talking about our salvation. Is he talking about Christ's second advent, his return, where he makes everything right? Yes, he gives us that. But let me tell you what he's also talking about. He's also talking about everything between those two events, the already, but the not yet that's going to happen. Everything from our conversion of that moment when Christ returns, everything between those events is grace. Do you understand that? It's grace. I told you earlier to breathe, didn't I? Remember? I told you to breathe. Can I tell you that was a grace moment? Because at any moment, God could withhold oxygen from all of us. Have you ever thought about that? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. He, he, you know, I deserve that because I'm a human and humans need oxygen. No, no. At any moment, because it's a gift of grace to you and I, it is God is with us. God is for us. And God is committed to the long haul of our life. Understand that. He's committed to the long haul of our life. He's committed to you. 
Why? Because he loves you. How do you know he loves you? Because he did not withhold his son. Did he stop there? No. He said, if I gave you that, then won't I give you other gifts? Yes. Everything that we have in life is a gift of grace from God. Everything that we have is a gift of grace. That's so different from the way we function as humans. Listen, I'm a father. I'm a father of three sons. If you don't know me, that I'm a father of three sons. And, you know, I remember... I remember the day when they were living in our house. One is at college, so he's, on, he's here occasionally, you know. But can I tell you, children, as parents, children get on our nerves. I don't know if you know that or not, right? Isn't that right? Yes? Your children get on our nerves. And, and if you're here, well, I guess we're all someone's child, right? Isn't that, that makes, does make sense. And, and, and so you have gotten on your parents' nerves at, at some point in your life, right? And if you're a father... And, and you're doing something that's getting on your father's nerves, what does your father do? They look at you and say, man, they must have got that from their mother's side of the family. Isn't that right? Yes. And if you're a mom, they look and say, you must have got that from your father's side because we don't act crazy like that, you know? And, and, and so you do that. And, and if you have kids in diapers, have you ever noticed that, that children tend to, you know, cause you to have to change a diaper at the most inopportune times? Have you ever noticed that, right? Yes, that you're getting them ready. And you're taking them out or you're bringing them to church and all of a sudden you pick them up and you go, whoo, you know, something's going on, right? Something's happening here. And, and you're like, you know, why couldn't we have scheduled this later on? Because they're kids and that doesn't happen. And so, you know, you think, you know, God, there could be a better way. Can I tell you, it's been this way since Cain and Abel in Genesis. So it's, it's, it is the way it is, right? Yes. And so you look at your child and you think, man, here's the deal, right? You're saying this to your little baby. Here's the thing. I'm going to do this one more time. And after this, I'm not doing this anymore, right? I'm not doing this anymore. And if you do this again, this is just the way you're going to stay. This is the way you're going to live till you're about 18. This is how it's going to go out. You know, that I'm not cleaning up this mess again. Can I tell you that God, who lives outside of time, who is present in our past, our present, and our future simultaneously. God, who loves you so immensely with an irresistible love that he sovereignly gave his son. God, who said that I will not stop there, but I will give you all these other things by gifts of grace. God, who simply takes us, covers us, in the life of his son, so that when he sees us, that he sees us in the perfection of his son, Jesus, and the righteousness of his son, Jesus. He never thinks, he never thinks about you and I, hey, whenever you're potty trained, then I'm gonna love you. Now, I know that's the weirdest theological approach to that you've ever heard in your life, right? It is, but yet he never says, hey, when you get this together, then I'm gonna love you. I think one of the most profound spiritual, biblical principles that we'll ever, ever discover in life is that unexplainable act of a sovereign God to love you and I. It's unexplainable. It's hard for us to understand. In fact, we can't understand. We can't. And we live in a culture of so much cultural idolatry, I call it, that says to you that, hey, you're okay because you're more than enough. Can I tell you in love, in light of scripture and about myself also, 
that you are not more than enough. Understand that. And can I tell you, before, as of Mark and speaking about myself, that I am not enough, but Christ is, and that's enough. That's enough. He is. Because of this irresistible love for you and I. So let's read on verse 33. Who shall, um, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It, it talks about uh, opposition in our life. It is God who justifies. And I think what that infers is that a lot of opposition in our life is inside of our own hearts and our own minds. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you and I. That There's going to be conflict if God is for us and, and not against us, that, that infers that there's going to be some conflict in this life. We're going to have that in this world. So he talks about charges. What are the charges here? It's an accusation that simply goes to the very heart of you and I and our justification that, that God no longer keeps score. The enemy says to us, hey, you did this, man. That's going down in the books, right? And God's keeping score in your life. And so I think for some of us, one, that we're trying to justify ourselves. It's self-reliance is what it is. We're trying to justify ourselves. So what we do is we try to justify our unforgiveness and our hatred toward things by that of saying, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to feel the way that I, I feel in life. But what I realized from this text, it is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. It's a very accusation against God that shakes our confidence in our life, that he's the justifier, that, that what the enemy says to you is that you're alone, then that God is not enough in your life. It's an accusation against God himself and the condemnation in the light of our very salvation and that of our humanity, that somehow in your life that there's this sin looming or this failure looming in your life that's somehow greater than God, and it's able to separate you from this inexhaustible love that God has for your life, that what I realize is that, that there is no one or nothing, and we're going to talk about that in a moment as we finish this up, that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But what I think the greatest condemnation accusation in this world is that the enemy tells you that you're on this journey and you're on this journey alone. And you got to work this out all on your own. You know, when Reba and I take a trip, like, you know, and, and I drive most of the time. I, I don't know why, but, but this seems to work out that way. And, and so she's always like my co-pilot, you know, on the journey that we go on. And, and I love my wife because what she does, she, she does this almost every trip. She simultaneously, with two phones, she listens and watches to two navigation platforms at the same time. She does, yes. She watches and listens to Waze and Google Maps, don't you? Absolutely. So we got two people trying to talk over each other on the phone sitting next to each other. Why? Because my wife, she's omniscient when it comes to traffic. She is. I mean, she knows. Yeah, two weeks ago in Atlanta, she saved us hours, hours by saying to me, you need to get off the next exit because I-85 is closed and you need to get off. And I looked at her and I said, you know, well, how do you know that? Because where you want me to get off, there's traffic there. And, and I realized, hey, I need to listen to her because when it comes to this, she's omniscient because she has all of this information. She does. I may be steering the car, but I'm not alone. 
because she's plotting the course. Yeah. She tells me, hey, there's a car up here on the side of the road. Be careful. That could be dangerous, right? And that's what Way says. Hey, car on the side of the road. You come by, there's a car sitting there, right? Yeah. Way says, there's a pothole coming up. Really? In South Carolina, Way says, pothole, 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 right? Yes, it's everywhere. I want to hear it say road, 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 road. Oh, we're out of South Carolina. We're now in Georgia. So, so here's the thing, right? This is true. We know that to be true. Yes. Object in the road. That's always fun. We're always curious. What is that in the road? You know, we're looking. We don't see it. Oh, there it was. You <laughs> know, it should have been larger and I wouldn't have ran over it. Yes. But what I say, I think what this says to you and I, the greatest accusation of the enemy in our life is that you're alone. Can I say this with all the intensity that we find in Scripture this morning? That is a lie. That is a lie. Because he's with you. Here's what it says in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I underline that. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's mortification, that's dying to our sin. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a huge text that we will talk about later on in our series, that we're not alone. And what I realize is this, when Paul uses the word sword, I underline that for a reason. Because tradition would tell us and history would tell us that Paul was martyred by a sword. He even says that in death itself that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. But there's going to be conflict. That's good theology for us. That there's going to be conflict within our lives. But he says in all these things that you and I are more than conquerors. And he says that's accomplished through his love for you and I. See, I told you that that irresistible love of God for us is the starting point for all of these journeys that we have in life. And then he says, you're in Christ. He, he finishes this text by saying simply that you're in Christ. And it's a text, it's a, it's, a, it's a phrase that you and I have talked about so many times together. And what it says is this, that this is not about you or your power, your ability or your strength or how smart you are. But what this is about is the fact that you are hidden in him. That we understand that we have died in Christ and we're hidden and that we're covered. So as we walk this path between those edges of mortification and vivification, and we're on this track of sanctification, our growth with God, I think what we forget sometimes in the greatest battle that we have in life is that we forget that God is with us. Every step, every moment, Every turn, every time we get it right, every time we get it wrong, every failure, and even the failures cause us to focus on. So let me tie this up with you, with the book of James for a moment, and this is where we end. In the book of James chapter 4 and verse 6, here's what it says. But he gives more grace. Now, if you don't need grace, take that out, okay? But I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't need it. I, I, I do. I know that, you know. And if you don't need grace, that, well, that, that means that, you know, you're sitting here, but you're not breathing. Because if you're breathing, then you're sinning. So, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Pause for a point. Here's what the word submitting there means. It means letting go. And I think this is where we struggle so many times with our relationship with God is that we say, you know, if I, if I submit to God, if I let go to God, then first of all, what is God, God going to do with me, right? You know, what is, where is God going to take me in life? And then I think the second thing that we ask about God is, what is God going to take from me? And can I tell you that just in a thought of mine, I think I can give you some of the things that God is going to take from you this morning. I think what he's going to take from you is fear. And he's going to take from you stress and anxiety in your life. He's going to take from some of you unforgiveness and hatred. And for some of you, he's going to take away from you sin. So how does this work for us, Mark? James says, okay, hang on, I'll tell you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Aren't those beautiful? But you can't stop there. You got to read the rest, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So if I'm going to trust God because that submit is a trust word, if I'm going to trust him, what do I do? I resist the devil. The devil always provides the accusation in our life. He does. He's the accuser of the brother, and so he provides the accusation. Here's the two things that he accuses God of. And how that affects us, I think. He accuses God that God would leave us when we don't get things right in life. So it makes us think that we're alone. And he accuses God that God is not enough for us. And so we find ourselves searching for other things that are enough for us. Here's what God does. God makes a way of escape. That we are hidden in Christ. That we are in him. So when I resist the enemy, I resist the enemy in Christ. He says, draw near to God. How does that work, Mark? Well, it works with scripture. It works with scripture that I read scripture, that I gaze upon the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done for my life, that he doesn't keep score in my life anymore. And that brings confidence for me to trust him. That I draw near to him in community. That's important, I think. Community is extremely important. Because I think it's the crucible of community that refines you and I. Why? Because people get on our nerves. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yes, they did. Yeah. What better way to be refined than to surround yourself with other people that maybe struggle in the same areas that you do and are like you. And it pushes us to God. Prayer. Oh, you can't leave that out. Worship, there's so many other things that you could add to that list. Do you know prayer is more than a conversation? Did you know that? Do you know what prayer does? One, prayer points out our great dependency upon God. And it also reminds us of his great sufficiency over our lives. 
And then also Paul says, because then, or James says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. That you can't stop with that of the cleansing of just your hands because your hands are the things that are visible. But it talks about your desires. It talks about your very heart. It talks about you and I going into our lives or allowing God into spaces within our lives today that are deeper, that even the people around you at this very moment can't see. It's not just our actions, but it's our desires. That's going to be part of our trip together. So what do I say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do I know that? Man, he handed over his son, the sovereign act of his love for you and I. And today, that's where we begin the journey together. Yes. So for a moment, to cut out all distractions around you, could you just close your eyes for just a minute? There's nothing magical about this, I know. And I understand that maybe it's something different for some of you that maybe you're not accustomed to coming to church and being in this setting. But just for a moment, whether you're sitting here in this room or you're watching us from church at home today, that you could close out all the distractions around you. For a moment, this is a conversation between you and God. And allow God to just, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he illuminates truth to you and I, that you allow God to just reveal his irresistible and unexplainable love to you today. That it's real because it was sealed with the life of his very son. And what has flown, what has, what flows from that today is that everything in this life is a gift of grace from God for us. And that I know without any doubt that there's nothing in this life that can separate me from his love. So Father, as we sit, stand, or wherever we find ourselves this morning in this building or sitting in our living room, that there are moments when we struggle with your love for us, God, because it's so far beyond how we love each other. But God, by the power of your spirit resident in our life as believers, reveal that to us. And God, for those that are here or watching at home that are not followers of you at this moment, Lord, that you would arrest their very hearts and their minds with this irresistible love that you have for them. Because who can explain that someone would, God, give what is most dear to them for those that hate him and despise him? God, only you can love us like that. So arrest our hearts and our minds today. And God, as we find ourselves on this journey of sanctification and our growth with you, and we find ourselves uh, in between those lines of dying to our sins and our pursuit of you, that we find great peace 
even when we don't get it right, and the fact that nothing can separate us from your love today. And God, that is our firm foundation in a life that is extremely fluid. And we give you thanks. In your name we pray.